The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Social Selling, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Social Selling, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you know you're absolutely in the right place. And if you're wondering why this show isn't called Social Selling with Game Changers, that's because it's Season 3, Episode 1, and we have changed the title of the series to Changing the Game with Social Selling. A little bit of a different emphasis there, and you'll find out why in a moment. I'm very, very pleased to be welcoming our series sponsor, Kirsten Boylow, who will tell us about that as well as some regular panelists, Barbara Giamanco, founder and president of Social Centered Selling, and Kurt Shaver, CEO of the Sales Foundry. Let's get started with our opening. What's the buzz today? To thrive in this new age of hyper-change and growing uncertainty, it is now imperative to learn a new competency, how to accurately anticipate the future. That's a quote I found from Daniel Burris, B-U-R-R-U-S. Look him up. He's got a ton of followers on Twitter and social media. What are we talking about? The fear of the unknown makes change very, very difficult for most of us, you, me, probably the three on our panel today, especially when it impacts our personal income and or our business success, and that's usually tied together. If your organization is getting ready to embark on a social selling journey, or you did recently, or you're uh, ready to dip your toe in the water, but you're staying on the edge of the pool... Get, get with the facts, get the reality check here. It will dramatically transform how your salespeople interact with your customers, whether they like it or not. The key word here is dramatically transform, meaning change. So let's look at best practices to help you expedite and smooth the transition over to social selling. And we're going to talk today about the term change management. Will it help? Is it good? Is it something you want to embrace? Should it become part of the way you map out that social selling journey? So first up on the panel, I'm pleased to welcome 
welcome Kirsten Boylow. As I mentioned, she's the sponsor of this series and the head of SAP Social Selling Training and Enablement. I understand that's a new title. And Kirsten has sent me a quote from an Irish proverb, actually, which was traced back to the 1539 collection of proverbs by Richard Taverner, who lived from 1505 to 1575, best known for his Bible translation, the most most sacred Bible, which is a holy scripture. I'm not going to continue more on that. Here is the the, uh, quote that Kirsten has selected. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Kirsten Boylow, Happy New Year, a little belatedly, and welcome back. How are you? Happy New Year, Bonnie. I am well. Thank you very much. Thank you for um, having this uh, forum to be able to host these podcasts. It's, it's fantastic. Well, we are delighted. So, Kirsten, first tell me quickly, uh, Season 3, we're so happy that you've renewed the series. Uh, anything new and exciting? And why is the reason that you changed the title of the series from Social Selling with Game Changes to Changing the Game with Social Selling? What's the impact? Well, I just felt looking at season three and where we want to take social selling at SAP in 2017, I just thought, you know what, we truly are changing the way the game of sales is being played. We, we are changing how um, our employees interact with our customers and not just our sales executives, but um, pre-sales and uh, value engineers and our um, <clears throat> All, all the people involved in sales in general, but also all our marketing people, developers, we're looking at how our, all of our employees can change um, our interactions with our customers. And so I really felt that, the, that changing the game with social selling really um, reflected that change or that, uh, that direction that we're heading. Um, Thank you, than, Kirsten. Uh, the other one. Tell me. Yes, <laughs> that's a good thing. Tell me something. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. How does this relate to our topic? We're talking about social selling, the journey, whether companies there yet, whether they're thinking about it. We certainly hope they are by now, don't we? And change <laughs> management. So the devil you know rather than the devil you don't. What's the devil? Devil in the details? Devil in social selling? Yeah, the, 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 the whole idea of changing how you interact with customers is very... Um, scary, very uncomfortable for many people. And so I, I was coming at it from the, from the perspective of someone who maybe is a bit resistant to the idea of changing and embracing a, an entirely different way of interacting with their customers. And that's why, you know, I put that, you know, it's, this is how I feel, or not I, not me personally, because that would be really terrible if this is the way I felt. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll take that, we'll take that out of the transcript. That's Okay. <laughs> But if I if I was thinking about it from uh, someone who's really not all that comfortable with it, this is how they might be thinking. It's it's easier to work. It's it's um, I know how to do this. I feel comfortable in this way. The way I've always worked um, has worked. Why do I have to change? And and I don't know what kind of impact I'm going to have. Am I going to be successful? Yes, you tell me I'm going to be successful. But what if my customers aren't there? You know, those are the kinds of things that go through people's heads. And so that's why I felt that that really reflected the a lot of the attitudes that are out there. Very interesting. Uh, Kirsten, before I turn to Barbara Giamanco and Kurt Shaver, I want to ask you, in terms of the age of the sales force in, in, across industries, across the globe, across any kind of business landscape anywhere in the world, is is there still a great deep-seated fear? Change is coming. We have to embrace social selling. OMG, no longer the Rolodex, the cold calling, the, the sending out maybe emails with weird topics that will embrace people and force them to open the message and, and read it. Do you think there's still this, this basic fear or 
are, has have shows like this that we've been doing for a couple of seasons now, and and all of the great thought leadership on social selling has that calm down the fear of this brand new, which was a brand new and maybe not anymore, brand new format for selling. What's your thought? Well, I actually, um, Kurt and I met back in, in Florida in, uh, in, back in November. We happened to meet for the very first time face-to-face, and we mm-hmm. were having a conversation about this very topic, about you know, how many organizations have actually embraced social selling. And he tells me, now he, because he's more interacting with multiple companies, I'm interacting mm-hmm. with an SAP, um, he tells me that 10% of, you know, maybe 10% of companies out there have embraced the idea of social selling. Now, I expect, I'm, from what I'm hearing, and, and, you know, I, but I listen very almost exclusively to social selling talk. Um, I'm hearing a lot more companies embracing the idea and, and moving forward with their plans in social selling. <clears throat> and I'm starting to see snippets of that in my own uh, interactions with other enterprises. But it's, I don't think it's, it's certainly not that deep-seated, this is the way we do business now in, in every company mm-hmm. out there. Okay. Thank you very much, Kirsten. Uh, good to hear from you and, and good to know. We'll be talking to Kurt about that a little bit as well. Barbara Giamanco, welcome back. You were just recently on our Coffee Break with Game Changers 2017 prediction special. It was great to hear your voice. And Barbara is a regular on this series and she has uh, also been on several other Game Changers shows with us. She sent us a quote today from George Bernard Shaw, the Anglo-Irish playwright. Interesting. Kirsten quoted an Irish proverb and Barb is quoting George Bernard Shaw, an Anglo-Irish playwright. He was the winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature back in 1925. He acquired a reputation as the greatest dramatist in the English language during the first half of the 20th century for plays he wrote at the height of his creativity from Mrs. Warren's profession in 1893 to the Apple Card in 1929. His works have been revived on Broadway and his most famous in the 21st century, of course, is My Fair Lady, the musical adaption of his, of his book, his play, Pygmalion from 1938. Here's the quote, so perfect. Progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Barbara Giamanco, again, Happy New Year. How have you been? (laughs) Good, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back, and Kirsten, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. We're delighted. Talk to me. Are you a big fan of my, are you the My Fair Lady he was writing about, Barbara? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think so. But, uh, you know, the, the, the quote really struck me, Bonnie, I have to say, because is so much of thinking about when we need to do something different in our lives or in our businesses, and today we're talking about social selling, you know, it starts with your mindset. And so if you're, if you're not willing to kind of change your mind and open yourself up to new perspectives, it's going to be really tough to make any other kind of change. And so when I was thinking about the topic after Kirsten invited me, um, that quote from George Bernard Shaw really seemed to say it all for me. Absolutely. So perfect for our topic. And interesting, let's just dissect this for a second, Barbara. Those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. If we look at the sales force, and I think Kirsten just mentioned, she and Kurt discussed that only 10% of companies are using social selling. I'm, I'm kind of boggled by that. It would seem that if that's what the winners are using, that more companies haven't climbed on board that bandwagon. Change their minds. Do you think that changing their minds comes from the management or comes from the sales teams who say, uh, you know, the, the line from Peter Pan, I won't grow up. I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school. Sorry for that that uh, brief interlude there, but do you think it's coming from management says we will change the social selling and the people on the front lines and sales are saying, nope, 
we're not going there. Where do you think it is? Well, there could be a little bit of both, but I have to say that I have a particular bias in that I think a lot of this has to do with management. I think any initiative mm-hmm. in business, if you want to affect change in the court culture of your organization, it does start from the top. And so I'm not seeing enough sales leaders, as an example, who are really kind of embracing the notion that the way customers want to interact with sellers and uh, you know, vendors is a lot different. And that's partially because, you know, they've come up through the ranks selling in a particular way and that worked for them and that was fine. And so I think there's still this resistance, this this uh, this tendency to kind of fall back on, well, and, and Kristen actually mentioned that as well, to fall back on, well, it's worked for us, mm-hmm. so it's probably going to continue to work. Also, the other thing I think is is happening here is let's face it, change is difficult. This is not an easy solution. And I have to agree with Kurt that there are not as many organizations really taking it seriously. And when I say taking it seriously, it's the topic of this whole show. This is not about one LinkedIn training. This is Mm -hmm. actual, this is a change initiative and it requires people to think differently, act differently and do things differently. And and that's that's hard. But I do believe, uh, Bonnie, that a lot of it starts with the commitment from leadership, because once you have that, then you start to get the rest of the organization on board. Trying to go the other way, I don't think is working as well. Thank you very much. Very insightful. Good start to our conversation. And now we've mentioned him at least twice, if not five or ten times, Kurt Shaver, Shaver, CEO of the Sales Foundry. Kurt has sent me a rather puzzling quote from Gary Vaynerchuk. If those of you are not familiar with the name Vaynerchuk, you might know him as Gary V, V V-E-E. He was born Janadi, G-E-N-N-A-D-Y, Vaynerchuk, 1975. He's a young one. He's an American serial entrepreneur, CEO, investor, author, public speaker, and Internet personality. Big time. He was born in the Soviet Union. I didn't know that. And immigrated to the U.S. in 1978 when he was three, uh, and which allowed, because of the Soviet Union signed the SALT One agreements, which allowed Soviet Jews to leave the country in exchange for American wheat. I, I didn't remember this. Uh, what's interesting to me is Gary and his eight family members lived near where I am right now in a studio apartment in Queens, New York. I'm just over the border from Queens, which is part of New York City, into Nassau County. They then moved to Edison, New Jersey, blah, blah, blah. Um, very interesting. He focused his attention on VaynerMedia, the digital ad agency he co-founded with his brother, and he decided to take control of his father's liquor store, which was then called Shoppers Discount Liquor, through an aggressive of e-commerce, email marketing, talk about change, and aggressive pricing. He grew his father's business, everybody hope you're sitting down, from $1 million to $50 million a year by 2005. 2005. So he's a major person in, in e-commerce, one of the, the people to early embrace it. So here's the quote, and Kurt, you're going to have to help me out with this. The quote is, what's the ROI of your mother? From Gary V. Kurt Shaver, Happy New Year to you. How have you been? Hey, Bonnie, I've been great, and thanks to you and Kirsten for having me on this call here, and with my friend Barb from Atlanta. Uh, that was some great Gary V. background information there. I learned some, <laughs> I learned some things from your research there. I'm glad. I'm glad. So tell me, what is the quote? What's the ROI of your mother? How does that yeah, come into this? what's the ROI of your mother? So that was uh, Gary's reply when a stodgy executive uh, basically asked him for proof 
that social media really worked, right? That his spend on social media advertising and social media campaigns was going to provide a positive ROI. And uh, Gary's kind of a provocative guy. If you Google him, actually, you can Google. There is a video clip of what's the ROI of your mother, where he's talking about that on stage. Uh, and so that that was kind of his comeback to it, which I thought um, really uh, did certainly did me one better. I always used to ask people when they'd say something like that. I'd say, well, "What's the ROI of the telephone?" Right? Because if people are looking, uh, I mean, I, when people say that, I just immediately categorize them as as uh, you know laggards. Like, look out, because you're going to get passed by. I mean, if you if you have to be convinced that social networking and social media is uh, an influential factor, um, then, you know, I'm really going to wonder about your leadership of the business. I mean, you know, let's look back 20-plus years at when the Internet emerged, and, you know, is anybody going to argue that uh, email is influential or websites are influential? Well, social networks, you know, came about, 10 to 12 years later, but certainly by the mid-2005, um, which was, I think, the stat, uh, the year you called out, Gary hit $50 million for his uh, family yeah. line business. Um, you know, LinkedIn is 14 years old now. So 2005, when, um, sorry, 2004, three, actually. But when, when all those things started, I mean, again, we're talking 10, 15 years these things have been in existence. So that's, that's why I picked that out under our theme here of change management because, you know, I think that it really at some point, you know, you've, you've got early adopters that can see it intuitively, and then you've got people that can sort of like read the market and say, okay, everybody else is doing it, right, time to get on board. And then, mm-hmm. I, and then finally you've got, you know, the people that, that may never come on board. Uh, but, again, those are the people that I, I, I really are concerned about their possibility for existence. Yeah, that that's not even to me. That's not even change management, Kurt. That's laggard management. It's oh damn, <laughs> damn, really? We're that far behind? Really? The shoe's already dro- the other shoe was already dropped. Our competitors are going woohoo with social. What is it? You mean we have to do what? What's Twitter? What's LinkedIn? I I just shudder. Uh, we've been talking, Kirsten, on your series for for last year, and I think part of the year before about social selling, and I guess we just take it for granted that it's something that is by now in the fabric or in the plan of most companies when they think of selling. It's not not your same old, same old anymore. Um, I, I'm just really surprised by the number, Kurt, that you threw out that, that Kirsten just quoted a minute ago. I think we all should be concerned. Uh, the, the other way of looking at it, of course, is that if too few companies do it, it might grow out of fashion because they might have to go back to the way the other guys are doing it if the other guys catch up. Kurt, is there any danger of that? Uh, no, I, no I don't, okay. you know, I don't think we can put, I don't, I don't think we can put the genie back in the bottle. Right. Um, uh-huh. uh, again, I mean, if we just look at, at everything, I mean, all, all of this comes from the internet, right? All of this comes yep. from the internet. It was internet, email, website, social networks. Um, you know, next year it's going to be our refrigerator talking to our car to self automated car to, you know, go get some milk for us. Right. So, it's uh, I, yeah. I don't. I don't think we can turn around. And, and I just. I want to qualify my my ten percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think Kirsten and Barb both both sort of qualified that for me a little bit. You know that that's really the estimate that I make of of companies that are 
that are that are really doing it strategically, that are all in, right? That are doing it right. That have kind of like all the elements going. That that was the estimate. Not, I mean, certainly there's there's many more, you know, that are that are dabbling, that have done some training, that maybe they have a tool in place. You know, they've done that. But the the ten percent number was the people. You know, I mean, it's I mean, again, it's companies like SAP and what um, Kirsten's doing with that team there. You know, it's companies that are really all in. That that's what that number was. Thank you very much, Kurt, for clarifying. Wow, what a good start to the show. Kirsten, you know what we're going to do next? We're going to go around the table and find out where each of you is calling from, what time of day, or, God, the weather's pretty mucky here in New York. We'll find out what your weather is and what you're drinking. And it can be what was in your cup over the holidays, if there's something special, or what you're drinking right now that makes you happy. So, Kirsten Boylow, talk to me. Where art thou and what's in your cup today? Uh, I am in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. It's very gray here, and it has been for weeks. It feels like I don't think I've seen the sun in a long time. Mm. Um, and I don't think I'm going to see it for a while, according to the weather um, network. Um, and I am drinking a chai tea latte, and I also have a big glass of water beside me. Um, yeah, that's about it. Is that a chaser? Is that a chai tea latte with a water chaser? <laughs> a water bag? Exactly. <laughs> I'm not much of a drinker, so these are just words I've heard, of course, you know, just listening from my mother's womb. Barb Giamanco, where are you today, and what makes you happy in your cup today? So I am calling in, Bonnie, from Atlanta, Georgia, and we've got a, a respite from the pouring rain we've had for the last few days. So it's sunny and about 40 degrees very, very nice. I'm here on the East Coast. It's about 10, 20. What's in my cup? It's sort of boring at this time of day. It's a big glass of ice water with lemon. If we were to have this conversation at 6 p.m. today, I'd be having probably a nice Pima Noir. Ah, there you go. We got something good. Any favorite brand to your bottle? Uh, I actually kind of am a fave of Mark West Pinot Noir, which is kind of what I drank through the holidays. But uh, I'm a girl who likes uh, red wine, so I'm not super particular. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much, Barb. And, uh, yes, I think we sort of got your storm up the coast from Atlanta up through D.C. and then probably Jersey, Pennsylvania. And it sort of hit us in New York yesterday. And interesting, at 3.16 this morning, New York time, exactly. I heard a bloop, and all the power went out, and then bloop, it came right back on again, which meant all the computers needed to be reset, the stove, the micro, all the manual stuff, you know, and everything needed to be restarted again in the time clocks, except on, of course, the digital devices had to be reset. It was very strange. It couldn't have been off for more than 10 seconds, but it just just was enough to make everything reset, so that's the worst thing we got. (laughs) I'll take it. Thank you. Kurt Shaver, where are you today, and what are you drinking? I am in Sonoma County, California, about an hour north of San Francisco, and uh, what a tie-in. In fact, the exit that you get off the highway to come to my house is Mark West Spring Road, where Barb is getting, getting her Pinot Noir, so that, that is in my neighborhood. And, um, I, so I like your option. We can go back and talk yeah. about a holiday drink. Let's Let's do that. So... Um, so I like a little taste of eggnog, just a little, just a little uh, taste of eggnog. Eggnog is one of those things you can't really have. I can't have much more than like three or four sips, but just that little yep. bit, of course, with a little bit of brandy in it, right? Just that little couple of sips in the holidays, um, I really enjoy. So um, that's what I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna refer to here in my drink report. 
That's fine. And it was all the strength I could summon to avoid buying a carton of eggnog this year because I know <laughs> once you start, that's with it without the rum. Once I start, I just want that sugar, sugar craving just goes wow. So I bought a little half and half and then a little heavy cream, added that to my coffees and my lattes. And that was my treat for the holidays. Nope. Didn't go the eggnog route, but I am kind of envious. So we're talking today about your social selling journey and change management. Did you think about that? journey yet? Are you dabbling? Are you curious? Are you sitting on the outside looking in and saying, wow, our competitor sales are going through the roof. They're not using a Rolodex and cold calling anymore and flyers and brochures and business cards. Perish the thought. What in the world are they doing? They're on the web. They have LinkedIn profiles. They're using Twitter. They're on all kinds of social media. How do they do it? What do we need to do? Are we afraid? All of those good questions, we're answering them today with our wonderful panel, Kirsten Boyleau, Barbara Giamanco, and Kurt Shaver. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm still in the new year drinking a cool, clear cup of water with a pink straw today because I'm sure hoping the sunshine comes back to us. So this is Changing the Game with Social Selling, Season 3, Episode 1. We'll be right back with a lot more. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Social media is taking sales organizations by storm. And only those who adapt quickly into the new digital world will be around in the future. Social selling is a concept that has implications to all lines of business. From building the fundamentals in the sales process and getting the content marketing mix right, to building cross-functional teams and ultimately changing the way buyers and sellers engage in a digital world. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how social selling is changing the world of business. Changing the game with social selling is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Changing the Game with Social Selling, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with Social Selling. We are back. We're speaking today with Kirsten Boylow, head of SAP Social Selling Training and Enablement. She knows her stuff. Barbara Giamanco, founder and president of Social Centered Selling. And Kurt Shaver, CEO of the Sales Foundry. See a theme there in all of what, what we're talking to these people? Uh-huh. Social selling and change management. It's time for in earnest, as my mother likes to say, the round table. I'm looking at Kirsten's notes she sent me before the show, and here's a very telling statement. I'm going to read it, and then Kirsten will expand on it. We'll invite Barbara and then Kurt to chime in. So Kirsten says, and I quote her, I've heard so many times from my own experience and from social selling training vendors that many companies think, quote, I've invested in a tool, so we are social selling, or, quote, just get on social media, and then we'll be doing social selling. Kirsten says, this is so wrong on so many levels. Kirsten, please tell us more. Yeah, this is something that um, I run into a lot, uh, even within SAP, but I've also heard from other vendors, training vendors, that this is something they run into a fair amount, that this is, you know, 
<clears throat> a leader looks at, okay, I want to do social selling. I want my team to do social selling. What tools do I need? And, uh, you know, and, and tools are definitely part of the mix. There's, there, I'm not saying that you don't have to have tools to be doing social selling. You absolutely do. But it's not, and this is where, where I brought in, you know, bringing in the whole idea around change management is it's not just, you know, training someone on how to use a tool. It is training someone on how to interact differently, how to engage customers differently. I like the way Barb put it earlier in our segment about, you know, changing their mindset. This, it's, it's about changing how they think about interacting with that customer, how about how they actually interact with that customer, about how they think about themselves and present themselves on social media. Um, the, all of those pieces come into play. And it's, so it's, I really feel that it's not about a tool. And I can give you an example of, of something that we've shared externally many times from here at SAP. And um, we actually did a pilot back in 2014 <clears throat> where we, um, we took a, one team, uh, two teams, one of them was in Asia, um, gave them the full social selling training that we had developed at that time. And, and then we um, took another team that had, we just gave them the tool, told, you know, taught them how to use the tool, but gave them the tool. Uh, and the team that, that we had given the entire full social selling training to, you know, you know, about changing their mindset, changing the way they interact with customers, changing how they think about presenting themselves on social media. And that team, they delivered seven times the pipeline that the team in the same amount of time frame that the team that just had the tool was um, produced. And that is why I am so, so dedicated to this idea that it's, you can't just tell people that, it, you know, here's the tool, go to it, you're going you're gonna to be successful because that's absolutely not the way. It is about changing the mindset and changing the way we engage with customers. Thank you, Kirsten. Very eloquent. Barbara Giamanco, love to get your two cents or whatever you got in your wallet there about what Kirsten just brought up. <laughs> agree or disagree? Yeah. Well, actually, I thought this was a great lead-off. I couldn't agree with Kirsten more. Let's face it, folks, technology only enables the sales process. And one of the things that I've noticed, Bonnie, over the last couple of years in particular is how, you know, this conversation about, oh, we'll just add another piece of technology to the sales stack. Well, that's not going to do it. And I think part of the reason why it's happening is it seems that that's an easier route. I mean, this is such a bigger, uh, so, so much bigger of a conversation, but really technology is not going to do it for you. If it, if it was, then CRM would have solved all the problems people were having with revenue and pipeline. And this is really no different. I mean, Kirsten's really nailed it. It's about the people behavior and changing the way that you think about interacting with customers, figuring out how you get into, um, you know, their mind, if you will, to really be focusing your attention on what they care about and what, not what you want to sell. So no, another piece of technology is not going to do it. And I also understand sometimes why sales leaders default there and get confused because, Let's face it, we have a lot of vendors who are trying to play the social selling card and using that as a way to sell their product. And so it's unfortunately, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to solve the problem. It just, you know, in my opinion, it's just not going to solve the problem. Thank you, Kurt Shaver. Agree, disagree? You want to get on board with us on this one? Oh, yeah, I'm on board with you. I mean, you know, giving a salesperson a high-powered social selling tool without training, it's like um, giving the keys to a new Ferrari to a 16-year-old, right? What, like one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to be afraid of it and not get it out of the garage, right, which means they're not going to use the tool because they're afraid of it, 
uh, or they're going to jump behind the wheel and without the skills to handle the power, they're going to end up wrapping it around the tree, which in the social world could be very damaging. So, you know, I, I think the challenge for a lot of companies is that uh, unlike CRM or really any other tool that the enterprise purchases, um, people come to the table with some social skills, some some social networking skills, right? Like they have a free Facebook account, they have a free LinkedIn account or something something like that. So a lot of times people think like, oh, well, you know, they just have this thing in their personal life. They must know exactly how to use it for business purposes. And those that's not true. Those, mm-hmm. They don't always translate that just because somebody has Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn and Twitter and their personal side that they know how to use that for big B2B selling. So, yep, got to train them. Thank you very, very much. Kirsten, I'm circling back around the table to you. Anything you want to add to what your colleagues on the panel just said? Anything you want to do to finish off this topic before I move to something from Barbara's list? I, I just want to you know, reiterate that it, I think it, tools are absolutely part of the conversation. They have to be because they, they help underpin and, and kind of provide some structure as to how you interact with those customers and give you the platform to do it. But in, in terms of, you know, how you think about um, interacting with them and, and, you know, how you actually interact with them is that's how it's where the change in the mindset, changing the way we engage comes in. So just, yeah, that's it. Thank you very much, Barb. There's so many good topics to pick in your list. I'm going to go down to the, uh, to you, you told me about a demand gen report 2016, their B2B buyer survey report. You say there were four top reasons why buyers ultimately choose a winning vendor. Let me just read these percents and then Barb, you can blend this into our topic of change management and social selling. 98% say it's the timeliness of a vendor's response to their inquiries. 97% said they demonstrate a stronger knowledge of the solution area and business landscape. Remember, everyone, this is B2B. 94 said, demonstrated a stronger knowledge of our company and our needs, meaning the company they want to sell to. And 90% said, provided content that made it easier to show ROI and build a business case for why we should purchase. So, Barb, talk to me. How does this go together with the need to move to change, change management and to embrace social selling? Absolutely. Well, I think because it reinforces the point that buyer expectations are much, much higher than they have ever been. Uh, you know, in, a, in, a, in the Salesforce State of Sales study, 79% of business buyers said it's critical or very important to interact with a salesperson who's a trusted advisor, not just a sales rep. They want people who add value to their business. And I think this is an important part of the conversation because it speaks to what Kirsten led us off with about that engagement and interaction with customers. They expect a lot more from us. I mean, notice that they didn't, buyers didn't say they tended to buy from you because you came in and you pitched your products and features, right? The product features. So I think when you think about social selling, it's super, yes, you have the technology and the tools, but you also have to have really strong consultative problem solving selling skills. And I feel like there's a little bit of a decline there. I mean, just look at how many times uh, sellers are using email, LinkedIn in-mail, social channels to pitch and send spam messages, which are not really a benefit to them or to the organization. It's not leading to that measurable sales outcome. So I, I, I brought that forward because I think sometimes... That's not talked about enough. You've got the tools, but you also have to have sellers who understand that 
buyers are looking for us to really help them solve business problems. And if all you're doing is coming in with the product pitch, then, you know, that's like so 15 years ago. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, I think leaders also need to, to, to realize that survey after survey after survey Buyers are making it really, really clear. They want sellers to come in and think about how to help them with the problems they have to solve. Again, not coming in just trying to pitch a product to sell something. Thank you very much. Very interesting and, and well articulated. Kurt Shaver, love to have your thoughts on this. Is, is social selling going to help those sellers be there in a timely manner and demonstrate their knowledge and find ways to say, yes, we can solve your problem rather than here's what I'm selling in my suitcase today? Thoughts, Kurt? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a platform for salespeople to demonstrate their expertise, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, I just I kind of laugh because I, you know, think that it's basically the same thing I did when I started selling 30 years ago, right? I mean, in, in that context, uh, my marketing department would, would mail me brochures and I would take them around to prospects and customers, but I had a relationship with them and I would understand what their needs were. And so sometimes I'd write a little post-it note and stick it on the, you know, the corporate produced piece of content. Or I might say, hey, you know, here's something about, you know, the... Uh, you know, the challenge you're facing or something like that. And so it's always up to the sales person to understand what it is that their customer is trying mm-hmm. to achieve. Um, what social networks do that's obviously new is it gives each individual salesperson um, an audience, which are their connections or their followers or whatever it happens to, whichever the term happens to be for your social network of choice. And it gives them that platform for engaging. And engaging can be sharing content. Engaging can be um, commenting on what other people are sharing. But, again, it's just an opportunity to showcase expertise as a salesperson so Mm -hmm. that the customers actually seek them out, right? It's kind of a – I mean, it's a form of marketing. It's a form of promotion. But it's creating that awareness so that the customer actually seeks you out as an expert on supply chain management or um, employee benefits or um, CRM or whatever you happen to be self. So that's really the idea of kind of taking that individual brand, if you will, and turning it into Mm -hmm. an asset as a salesperson. Interesting. Kirsten, please join us. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I want to kind of, you know, given that my background is around training and enablement, I want to take it a little bit, a little step further and, and think about, you know, okay, so if this is the way that our customers want us to engage, and this is, and, you know, obviously this, um, these reports are showing that this is the, the way that customers feel uh, that they are being served in the best manner, how do we get there? And I just, you know, some of the things that we can do are, you know, work at changing the mindset. You don't change the mindset in a single training session. It happens over a time period. It happens over <clears throat> um, showing examples, helping them to be successful, helping them to, uh, you know, craft that first um, tweet or that first LinkedIn email message so that it doesn't become the spam or the, the pitch that it's always been before. And, and how do we, and those are the kinds of ways we can, we can you know, start to mitigate that um, 
that usage of the tools in the wrong way because it, it can be so very damaging to your own reputation to be that picture uh, on social media. People shut you off so quickly and you don't even know it. Um, so, you know, those are the kinds of things that that's where the change management comes in is bringing pe- those people together and not just in a single training session, but, um, you know, coming alongside them that's, uh, and, and coaching them along and changing the way that they think about things and, and perhaps giving them suggestions on ways to engage. That, that's how you, how you get to those, those better experiences for the customer. Thank you, Kirsten. Barbara, I'd like you to wrap this topic up in a nice red bow. Anything you want to add to what Kurt and Kirsten said? Well, I absolutely agree with both of them. You know, when, with social, there is an opportunity to demonstrate that credibility. And training is really required because you've got to change your, your behavior. I mean, if you think about two of the points from the study, demonstrated a stronger knowledge of the solution area and also knowledge of our company and needs. You know, in the beginning, I, I have to say, Bonnie, what I would say, it's really important to do your homework and do your research. I just mistakenly assumed that people knew how to do that. And I've uh, been surprised through the years to find out that as part of the training that, that Kirsten talks about, you even have to train people in how to gather research and then how to think about that information and then use it in a way that, that will speak to what the buyer cares about. And, you know, again, I, I don't put all the blame on the individual seller. A lot of the salespeople receiving training today, the, the bulk of it they're getting is the product pitch, right? So that's what they naturally default to. So I couldn't agree more that, you know, there's an opportunity to demonstrate that credibility, but also you can't just assume that people are going to take the tool and know what to do with it. I loved Kurt's analogy about the Ferrari, and they do need solid training um, followed up by ongoing coaching that helps them put these new behaviors and habits into practical application. Thank you very much, Barbara. Kurt, I'm looking at your notes here. We've covered a lot of the topics, interestingly enough, in the conversation already, but I want to talk about the social selling culture. Let's just isolate that from we're talking about training and a one-day workshop isn't going to do it and iterations and they need to be introduced to it and they need to get over the fact that OMG, it's new and it's different and it's not the way, it's not the way my grandma or my grandpa or my uncle 10 years ago was selling. So let's talk about that social selling culture. You ask in your notes, Kurt, why is it so hard to create a social selling culture? And you talk about lack of executive understanding or support, failure of first-line sales managers to embrace and reinforce it. Let's move to the third one, a lack of alignment between sales and marketing. How important is this, Kurt? Um, well, it, it's huge. I mean, I, I say social selling is the greatest opportunity that sales and marketing have ever had to actually work together, You know, kind of knock down that wall of marketing generating leads and throwing them over the wall and uh, having sales ignore them and all that. And, and the reason for that, really, it comes down to content. It comes down to what we've been talking about. It comes down to, um, look, if we want to really peel this onion uh, all the way down, uh, the Internet gave buyers power because, because the buyer did not have to rely on salespeople driving around their Ford Taurus handing out brochures anymore. Right? Mm-hmm. So the buyer gets power because they can access all this information on the Internet. Okay, that's like 1999. So what happened in the next 10 years? Well, corporate marketing departments figured that out. So they got into inbound marketing or content marketing, right? So they, they started putting less money into advertising and more into mm-hmm. we're going to create this content because people are going out and absorbing it, and we're going to persuade in that manner. 
And that was really what corporate marketing uh, did. Um, but that only goes so far, right? Because corporate marketing has one Twitter account and one website and one LinkedIn <laughs> company page. Meanwhile, they might have a thousand sales reps that have 500 LinkedIn connections each, right? Well, that is an audience of 500,000 people that the sales audience controls. So I often say that a B2B sales force is a company's greatest content distribution source. So if you buy in that customer, that internet changed customer behavior and inbound marketing and content marketing is valuable, why wouldn't you use your company's best content distribution source? Not only do they have the biggest audience, they have the best relationships and they're used to talking to the customer. So, um, so that's why it's really important for sales and marketing. I mean, again, sales has, marketing is kind of the brains of it in the sense that they have the content expertise, they're authorized, they're skilled, they know how to create it or curate it. Uh, but sales is the muscle because sales has the reach, sales has the audience, sales has the distribution. And so that's why the alignment of those two, when done right, can be hugely popular. I mean, um, I've got one client, a large telecommunication company that has measured they're getting over a million dollars a year in equivalent ad spend traffic just from their sales force sharing content. So, you know, it's, it's real money. Real money. That's what we're all talking about here. Thank you, Kurt. Very, very interesting. Kirsten, I'm circling around to you. Thoughts on what Kurt said? And what about sales as the muscle? Agree with that? Oh, I, I, yeah, I do. And I really like his statement that, you know, social selling is the, the best opportunity that sales and marketing have um, had ever had to work together because we've seen it here within SAP. We have really, really uh, aligned very, very closely with our sales counterparts um, to, to really launch this, this um, social selling program here. And it has been the best experience of my life, uh, but it also has been um, really benefited the company. We have a uh, huge visibility in both the sales organization and in the marketing organization because of that. Um, <clears throat> we're seeing great synergies along, uh, you know, not only at the, the global level with the three of us who are running the program, but also, um, you know, alignment at the field level where, you know, marketing and sales are working together to pull together all of the, the right resources, all of the training, all of the, um, the content that needs to be, uh, you know, put together, um, adjusting campaigns to make them work from a social selling standpoint. All of that kind of stuff is starting to happen and really, really pulling together both these pieces. It's been such an interesting, interesting um, ride over the last few years. Good. Very, very interesting. I, I can kind of tell, Kirsten, that you love what you do and that you're passionate about it. You, you think, and I have to tell everybody, I'm looking at Kirsten's bio and we have to mention, I have to mention that she was recently ranked number 40 on the top 100 social selling influencers list. You made the top 40 hit parade, Kirsten. Yay. Congratulations. Wow. Hey, even in rock and roll, the top 40 is what they play all the time. So, hey, Congratulations. That's wonderful. Barbara, one of, well, we're, we're so pleased. We've got the real deal here as well as those on the panel with you. Uh, Barbara Giamanco, talk to us. Thoughts on what Kirsten just said about this? I won't call it magical, but this strategic alignment of sales and marketing, the topic that Kurt started about resources and strategy and taking advantage of all the good stuff and the content and pulling it all together. It, it sounds like a real team sport. Can we say that? That social selling is a team sport in a company? 
What do you think? I, yeah, I think Barb? so. I mean, I, Kurt referenced earlier that 10% are the organizations that are doing, you know, putting a social selling strategy into place and they're, and they're, they're doing it strategically. Well, my guess is those same 10% have sales and marketing organizations working together on that strategy because it is important. You've got marketing who's creating, uh, who's definitely creating uh, content for you to use and there's got to be a solid process for how that gets handed off to sales. Sellers need to get training and how to use that in the right kind of way. I think the only thing I would add to this particular uh, discussion, Bonnie, is that I want organizations to remember that if the content is only yours, and it's only a pitch about what you sell or it's just like your brochure, but now you're sending it digitally, mm-hmm. people tune that out. What buyers are really looking for are, uh, and, and which is why you've got to know the buyer persona really well, but buyers are looking for and will pay attention to information that provides insight to mm-hmm. them. So they have a particular business issue, they're looking for insight, um, and that's where you have that opportunity to really, as a salesperson, start to demonstrate your credibility because you understand the buyer's problems well enough that you're helping to serve up the kind of content that helps the buyer get thinking differently and like, hmm, the salesperson, that Barb Giamanco, she must know something about this. Maybe I should talk to her further. So that's the only thing I want to add about the content. Don't make it just a brochure piece that you're now sending digitally. Make sure that it's really focused on the kinds of issues and problems that you can help solve for a buyer, that's the kind of content I have found they pay attention to. Thank you. Very interesting. Kurt, love to have you chime in on your topic. Thoughts on what Kirsten and Barbara just added? Well, I think one of the things, uh, as companies get more sophisticated in this and they, they, they get to the point where, okay, yes, we've now uh, marshaled our sales force to amplify our inbound marketing efforts, right? So, so the next step beyond that is to look at the sales force as more than just a content distribution army. They can also become a content sourcing army because, again, there's usually a lot more salespeople than there are people in the marketing department. So whether those uh, people ever graduate to those salespeople have to graduate to creating content, that might, that's probably a long way away. But certainly um, curating and recognizing um, content that may be specific to their vertical market or their geography or their market segment, whatever it happens to be, they can certainly do that and then send it back into marketing to kind of be vetted, curated, maybe tightened up a little bit, and then sent back out to their peers. So it's not just content going from marketing out to the sales team's social networks, but those salespeople themselves can also be sourcing information that comes back into marketing and goes back out. Thank you. I have to tell a little sidebar story here before we circle back to Kirsten and then Barbara and then Kurt with our one-minute-each predictions, and I'd like you to focus on 2020 or beyond. Many years ago, Kirsten, I don't know if you were around, but you were a toddler, probably Kurt. Barbara, probably too. Uh, we had something, something there was a movement in marketing called guerrilla marketing, and the concept was, okay, you have a toaster to sell. You're a toaster company. You put an ad in a magazine, newspaper, on TV, and it says, we're the oldest toaster company in the world. We have produced 45,000 toasters. We've sent them to 12 countries. This is way back in the day, kids, so forget about big global, okay? And and our toaster comes in 14 colors, and we're having a sale right now. Versus the other side was, 
Are you a busy mother who's trying to get your family out the door in 12.2 minutes, your husband, your two kids, and yourself in the morning? Do you need a toaster that's fast, reliable, self-cleaning, and you can adjust the temperature for everybody's toast needs? Look at our toasters. That's the whole difference is solving a problem. Does this ring true, Kirsten? This is what we're talking about, isn't it? Kirsten, Barb, and Kurt, is we're talking about solving a problem, not just pitching your product. Kirsten, with that in mind, why don't you give me your 60-second prediction? And if you want to comment on my guerrilla marketing story, I'd love to have you do that. <laughs> I love that story because, yes, that is exactly the, the point we're trying to get to. It's, it's about knowing your customer and understanding their needs, understanding their challenges, and understanding what they're trying to achieve as well so that you can um, <clears throat> produce, give them the right customer experience, produce the content that's going to be relevant and educational and interesting for them at the right time, in the right place, and in the right way. <clears throat> in terms of my predictions, mm-hmm. well, I would love to see that that number of 10% com- of companies that are truly embracing and, and um, you know, making uh, social selling an, a, an, an integral part of their organization, I would love to see that grow into the, the 50% range in the coming, you know, in the next few years. I would really, that would be an amazing, amazing feat. And I think it, I think it could happen. Well, I think if you continue with this radio series, Kirsten, and you renew again at the end of the year, beginning of 2018, no, 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 we just started 2017. <laughs> I think we're going to do that. Get the word out. Thank you. Barbara Giamanco, 60 seconds. What's your best prediction for 2020 or beyond? Uh, so it's pretty straightforward. I think that if, if uh, salespeople and sales leaders keep doing what they're doing, then they're going to be part of the 1 million uh, sales professionals that Forrester predicted would be out of jobs by 2020. Pretty straightforward. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, numbers don't lie. Okay. And Kurt Shaver, what's your prediction? And I can give you a whole 90 seconds because Barbara didn't even use 60 seconds. She's so efficient. <laughs> so go, go ahead, Kurt. <laughs> um, well, you know, the, the Microsoft acquisition of LinkedIn closed last month, and I think that for the next couple of years, we're going to see huge ramifications of integrating the world's largest business professional network into the world's largest software companies, productivity and communication products. But my, but that's uh, just the next couple of years. If, uh, my prediction for 2020 is that either Facebook or Google or Amazon uh, will buy Salesforce.com and challenge the Microsoft linked in uh, kind of market dominance for that socially network business communication platform. Well, that's an interesting one. Thank wow. you. We, we're going to write that one down and see what happens. Kurt, you want to tweet that? And by the way, everybody, take a look at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-E-O, where I've been tweeting. And if you just want to put in at SAP Radio, you can see a whole bunch of tweets from Kirsten and our other panelists and our friends here. Kirsten, we have a one minute left. Can you believe it? A minute left. So, Kirsten, I'm going to ask you, what's coming up next on some of your upcoming episodes here on Season 3 of Changing the Game? with social selling? Well, I have all kinds of ideas as to what we could be doing over the next, um, the next few um, months. We have a one, one program every month, I believe. If that's mm-hmm. Every four right. weeks, right? Yep, yep. So I have some ideas around, you know, as Kurt just mentioned, LinkedIn and Microsoft, um, 
use of video and social selling, social selling and the customer experience. Um, oh, this is a good one. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, social selling and artificial intelligence. Oh. The future of sales or not. Now, um, I've that's seen, I've seen things coming from different sides, so. Uh, that's that's the hottest topic, and we heard that so frequently on our Game Changers Prediction Special. AI, 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 and there's some machine learning is a huge topic. One of the predictions we heard was that by the time you train your car to drive autonomously as you need it to drive, you're part of that training process, not just from the factory. Your car will ha- feel a sentimental relationship with you. Don't even go there. And people are already proposing to Alexa and Siri. I don't even want to chatbot, chatbot, chatbot. Kirsten Boylow, pleasure to have you back for Season 3. Barbara Giamanco and Kurt Shaver, thanks for being along on the panel. Wonderful speaking with the three of you. I love having experts who really know their stuff. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. And we are just going to say be back. I'll be back in one hour with the season debut of Startup Focus with Game Changers, talking about commerce versus e-commerce for retailers in all industries. Here's my call to action. At last, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Thank you, Michael and the Business Channel team. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Social Selling, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join hosts Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.